You're listening to the You Don't Know Me Yet Podcast Network. Hey, you are tuned in to Two Gems and a Mic with hosts Tanisha the Diva Mahomes and Linda L.D. Dorsey. Just know, if we're talking about it, you need to hear about it. Unwind and enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back to a new episode of Two Gems and a Mic. I'm your girl, Linda L.D. Dorsey, and I got my girl, Tanisha Diva Mahomes. Hey, Linda. Right. Hey, um, how you doing there, Lee? It's always, right. it's you gotta, always- You gotta one. bring them in better than that, come on. I, hey, no, you know, give me a second, Lee's, Lee. <laughs> Lee feels like family to me. I've known yeah. Lee for a very, very long time, he and Chris, so he feels like family. But for all the two gym listeners out there, let me tell you, we have a special guest, and it's Lee Steinberg. And if you know anything about agents whatsoever, you know how important Lee Steinberg is to um, athletics in general. Um, I want to welcome you guys um, to the show. And um, Lee, as usual, do your thing. Um, introduce yourself. Uh, it's going to be a wonderful introduction. Well, it's my great honor to be with the two beautiful gems <laughs> of this you. show today. Um, I, um, I grew up in Los Angeles, went to school for a year at UCLA. Then it was the late sixties. So Berkeley was calling with all the changes in the counterculture. I was student body president when Ronald Reagan was the governor of California. And every time we demonstrated against the war in Vietnam, he cracked down and I learned everything I needed to learn about negotiating by dealing with uh, Governor, later President Reagan. And my dad brought me up with two core values. One was treasure relationships, especially family. And the second was to try to make a meaningful impact in the world and help people who couldn't help themselves. So I was sort of hardwired to do that and make a positive impact in the world. And I was a dorm counselor working my way through law school and an undergraduate dormitory. And they moved the freshman football team into the dorm. And one of the students was the quarterback on the team, Steve Bartkowski. And he ended up in 1975 being the very first player picked in the first round of the NFL draft. And there really wasn't an organized field of sports agentry then teams could just hang up the phone and say, we don't deal with agents. Mm. But he asked me to represent him, and I was choosing between different legal jobs. And he was the first pick. We got the largest rookie contract in NFL history. And I saw then that athletes could serve as role models. And if they would retrace their roots and go back to the high school community and set up a, a scholarship fund or work with the church or boys and girls club, they could put down roots and make a, a difference. And at the collegiate institution, if they could bond with the alums and either do a scholarship or, or, or work with a, a minority scholarship, they could uh, bond with the alums and lay the foundation for second career. And at the pro level, if they'd set up a charitable foundation with the leading business figures, political figures, and community leaders, 
they could do a charitable program for something in their own heart they'd like to tackle. So right. it's um, work done putting the 200th single mother in the first home she'll ever own by making a down payment and moving the family in. So it's athletes changing lives. And I also saw they could message. So when I represented the heavyweight champion Lennox Lewis, um, we cut a public service announcement that said, real men don't hit women. Mm. That oh, could more to trigger um, attitudinal change in rebellious adolescence towards domestic violence than a thousand authority figures ever could. So that was 48 years ago, and, and uh, we've represented 64 first-round uh, draft picks in football and the very first pick eight times, 12 players in the Hall of Fame, baseball, basketball, uh, and um, uh, next year in football be the 49th draft. Wow. Oh, my. So I wanted you to do it. I wanted to do it that way, Linda, because I knew I cannot do Lee justice because no. he has such an amazing career. Um, I've read everything that I could read on him, um, but he didn't brag enough on himself. So I'm going to go ahead and give y'all the rest of it. <laughs> Lee is um, he is the top agent. I'm talking. He's a philanthropist and author. He has 41 year career. He's represented over 300 professional athletes in football, baseball, basketball, boxing, and Olympic sports as well. He holds a current record for representing the number one overall um, pick in the NFL draft eight times, which I think is amazing, um, including my nephew um, in that group. <laughs> He, he is the real-life inspiration for the Jerry Maguire movie that everybody loved. Um, Noah Lee was on set um, helping with some of the direction with that. And I think you may have gotten some producer rights over there. So if you name it, Lee's done it. And yep. he negotiated over $3 billion, people. Did you hear me? $3 billion. <laughs> yeah. With the likes of players like Troy Aikman, Steve Young, Ryan Lee, Patrick Mahomes, Tua T um, Tagovailoa, if I, I might have I torched his name. name up. <laughs> and um, many more. So I just wanted to let him give you guys some background and then and then go on my brag and speak us briefly. Right. And, and for those who are watching or those who are not watching, I see that picture in the background, Lee, with you, Cuba Gooding, and yep. um, Tom Cruise. So that that's pretty cool. Awesome. But uh yeah, tell us a little bit about that, how that came about. I, and I saw, I think, some recent pictures too, right? Um, it was 1993, and a film director, Cameron Crowe, uh, called me and asked if he could follow me around to pick up atmosphere for a film that would feature a sports agent. And he had gone underground in a Southern California high school to write a book called Fast Times at Ridgemont High which made a really funny movie. And yes. so I said, sure. So he followed me to the 1993 draft where I had the first pick, Drew Bledsoe, and he picked up atmosphere and I told him lots of stories. And he came to the 93 league meetings in Palm Desert where I was showing off a free agent. And he talked to people there and I told him stories and he picked up all the atmosphere and he came to a pro scouting day at SC and he came to a series of games with me and he spent time in my office and came to the Super Bowl. And basically for a year and a half, he was a shadow on the wall and I told him stories. And then he asked me to serve as technical director. So I had to bet the script to make sure 
that there was nothing jarring in it that would take a real sports fan out of the story. Mm -hmm. And uh, then he had me work with the actors. So I took Cuba Gooding Jr. down to the Phoenix Super Bowl. I made him pretend he was a wide receiver client of mine for a week. And he hung out with Amani Toomer and Desmond Howard. Um, I actually had to show the quarterback in the film played by Jerry O'Connell how to throw a spiral oh, oh, wow. <laughs> to NYU and they didn't have uh, a football program there. And uh, so uh, and, and I told him the stories. There's a lot of life up there on the, on the screen. And for the last uh, 25 years, I've never gone out to a restaurant or been in an airport where someone didn't run up to me and say, those four words you asked me to say, <laughs> show me the money. money. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. I love it. And that, that, that is all great. But Lee, I mean, we follow you. Uh, oh, we yeah. talk to you. Um, you take time out. You're so generous with your time and take time out. But Absolutely. the things that you're doing, um, we saw what happened with Tua a few weeks ago. And I know you've been doing brain studies. I know you travel around the world. Um, I just saw you with what looked like a soccer helmet on your head a couple of weeks ago. Tell us a little bit about some of those things that you're doing for, for the NFL, not just the NFL, but overall for safety in sports, brain studies, clinical studies. So I had a crisis of conscience back in the late 80s, early 90s, because I'm representing half the starting quarterbacks in the NFL. And this is an issue not just for the NFL. It's college football, high school football, it's AYSO soccer, it's hockey, it's any collision sport. And more than that, it's people who fall off horses or in motorcycle accidents. It's a worldwide issue, which is traumatic brain injury. And we would go to doctors and ask how many head injuries is too many. They had no answers because the brain is the last frontier of medical research. So I started holding concussion conferences back and players like Troy Aikman and Warren Moon and Steve Young and Drew Bledsoe came and heard from neurologists. Well, finally in 2006, they gave us the answer, which is three or more concussions cause an exponentially higher rate of Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, premature senility, chronic traumatic encephalopathy and uh, depression. So I called it a ticking time bomb and an undiagnosed health epidemic. So we've made progress on certain fronts, taking blocking and tackling with the head out of the game, mm -hmm. uh, been um, better in terms of, of playing surface, but we still have uh, concussions. The good news is I've found a couple brain treatments. One is called RTMS, which is magnets against the brain. Another is uh, Dr. Tommy Shavers. It's called Nestry in Lake Known outside Orlando. And the concept is neuroplasticity, which means that you can rewire the brain and create new neurons. So um, okay. this is just coming online, but there's hope finally that you could take a degraded concussed brain and bring it back. So um, there are brand new developments in uh, biomed, um, which can, there are things like hyperbaric oxygen, mm -hmm. uh, light stem, stem cells, which are going to revolutionize medicine. Um, and the 
problem we have is that the athletes themselves are in a state of denial. They come to believe from being in Pop Warner and Little League that the most important thing is this play, not long-term health. So my best allies in this are the wives, the girlfriends, the parents, to try to get the concept of long-term health taken seriously. And um, it's not critically important to me that the athlete play in this game or the next game or even this season. What's important is that, that yes, they have a career, but I'm concerned with their long-term health. And, you know, we know that, that when an athlete who plays a collision sport <laughs> bends over to pick up their kid when they turn 40, they may have aches and pains. But right. Another thing, the brain is the seat of uh, personality, memory, character, what it means to be a human being. So if they lean over at age 40 and they can't recognize their child, that's an entirely different issue. It's so well, important. That, that is so that that is that is um, absolutely correct. And I was thinking about that because just here lately, um, the NFL kind of had to. Um, backtrack a little bit and um, and and start, you know, uh, doing a better job because we saw with Tua, but not just Tua. I mean, just this week, um, I've already looked at the injury report uh, for a show later on, and there are several um, several players on um, that are in the concussion protocol, and they don't know if they're going to play. And I, I'm, I'm kind of – I'm not happy that they, that, that that happened to Tua, but I'm happy that they're now taking it more seriously because those players are getting out there on those fields and they were playing at risk of what you said, their mental capacity later on in their future. And, and, um, and Tanisha, let's um, – and LD, let's talk about the fact that we have bigger, stronger, faster players. Yes. Oh, man. Every time at the inception of the play – at the line of scrimmage, <clears throat> the law of physics says the hit is exponentially, the G-force is heavier. Uh -huh. So every time a lineman hits a lineman at the line of scrimmage, it produces a low-level subconcussive event, a little bit of change. So you could have an offensive lineman, and it's the linemen that get the most hits, yeah. not uh -huh. the quarterback. Um, a low-level concussive event. So you could have an offensive lineman walk out of playing high school, college, and pro football with 10,000 sub-concussive wow. events, none of which have been diagnosed, no. none of which he's aware of. But the aggregate almost certainly does the same thing, getting knocked out five times. And, and all the athlete feels is stunned uh -huh. the same way they feel after every place, so they don't know that they've had anything. It's the norm. It becomes the norm for them. Right. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's putting it into a whole different perspective because you do you think the linemen, they're there on every play, and they're banging hard every play. So that that's just something that's just, yeah. yes. And it's part of the game, and it's a part of the game, and you know what to expect, and yet – you know, these kids are starting out so young and they're starting younger and younger and they're, you know, so becoming more and more aggressive. One of the things to do is not have kids play tackle football until at least they get to high school because right. that young brain's at risk. So let's say 50 percent 
of the moms and dads in this country understand what we just talked about. And they tell their teenage uh, boys, you can play any sport but not tackle football. It won't kill football, but what it'll do is turn it into a gladiator sport. So only those families with real economic deprivation that need it to escape poverty will play. Mm-hmm. It, the same people who box and do UFC, knowing what the risk is, but needing it to to escape uh, poverty will right. play. And some needing it just to survive. Yeah. yeah. So it's a gladiator sport. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that puts I mean, everything. Yeah, go ahead, Tanisha. Yeah, no, I no, I saw, I I've seen, you know, several um concerns with that, and and I'm I'm starting to get um get to that level too because I saw a video just recently where this kid just plowed this kid, and I'm thinking they can't be any more than six or seven years old, and this kid was laid out, and I'm thinking, man, that is entirely too long young to be taking hits, and if you stay in this game, and you're seven, and you get to college, and you're 22, 23, and when you're done. What if, what, what, what's the level of damage to that? You the, know? Good, the good news is I have, I'm not a doctor. Um, I don't have long-term studies on what I'm talking about, but I'm going to bring to pro and college teams some of these RTMS and, and, and brain things and, and have them try it because I have met young uh, athletes who were totally in a coma or laid out by concussion and their brains were brought back. Oh, man. Wow. Oh, okay. Wow. Oh, that's good. Okay, so their brains were brought back. Yeah. That's great. Regenerative. That, that, that is great. So I know that um, you um, you do a lot of writing and you, uh, you write in columns and different platforms. And um, I was just wondering, um, is there anything uh, we can look forward to reading here of late that you... Um, that you, I know, I know you're working with the LA Times. I believe it is. You contribute to the LA Times. Still. So, uh, so I'm uh, uh, just started on my uh, third book, and um, the agent that I wrote uh, left off in 2013, and so I'm uh, going to write about how I recovered from alcohol, and uh, write about how I. <clears throat> rebuilt my practice. I'm going to write about life lessons uh, that uh, I've aggregated and uh, tips about resilience and that life will knock you back. And uh, we all get knocked back. But what are key ways when you get knocked back in life uh, to, to come back? Um, how can you see the light at the end of the tunnel? How can you, um, in the midst of adversity, uh, Mm -hmm. be optimistic and positive and uh, uh, see that light at the end of the tunnel? Um, So that I'm going to write also about these breakthroughs um, so that both of you can have better memory. Both of you can have uh, quicker neural processing. Both of you can use hyperbaric oxygen and light sim. Both of you can have longer uh, lifespan. And so I'm going to do that. This week, I'm writing on the subject of why instant replay 
is a drag to uh, uh, sports and okay. why, why we don't need it and why uh, you have this exciting play in the game. And but wait, is it real? <laughs> right, right. And so all of a sudden you break the momentum of a play. And if you're at the stadium, it's, oh, it's forever. Time. And if you're at home, it's commercials. And all of a sudden, uh, you have an ever riveting point of view of the uh, of the referee behind the curtain, and uh, and it's still a human being looking at film or a human <laughs> being looking at the play, and um, it's just dead time. And you have uh, uh, Gen Z who's got a short attention span anyway, going crazy, and uh, it's just we're acting like there's physics and certitude in this uh, whole thing and I don't see it. And, uh, and then uh, I'm working on a series of projects because I believe that we can use athletes to address problems like bullying, mm -hmm. sex trafficking, domestic violence, the environment. So I think we can deal with a problem like bullying because if you go to the culture of a high school, the athletes sit on top of the food chain. Yes. And so if we have the high school athletes be the purveyors of tolerance and they put their arm around someone who's overweight or has a hair lip or, or uh, stutters or whatever it is that they're picking on someone to, they can turn the culture of that high school around real fast. Um, and they can target all sorts of societal ills. And so steadily, I want to work on these problems one after another after another. One of the things we did in the past is the Secretary of State, uh, Madeleine Albright, and I tackled landmines. And so we put together a program where you could demine in Angola and Mozambique and um, uh, Cambodia landmines. But my biggest issue now is that white supremacists and skinheads are are on the move and on the attack. And I don't want any little kids in this country uh, to, to suffer uh, uh, prejudice and the rest of it. So I did a program a while back and I'm raising money for it again, where we train a new generation to be the advanced warriors against hate. Yeah train them in the 30 biggest cities in this country, how to fight skinheads and hate groups, how to help police departments, how to go into schools and promote ethnic um, uh, tolerance and appreciation. So we push back because this is our time and our watch and we can't let this uh, continue and happen in our time. I agree 100%. Absolutely. One thing too that I listened to Lee and I want to know how it started. I listened to your Wednesday wisdom and those nuggets are, I mean, amazing. Um, Good point. I take them and I live by them. <laughs> Wednesday Wisdom started because I had a father who said, when you're looking for someone to right a wrong, fix a problem, as minor as picking a piece of trash up off the street and as major as fighting back against racism, fighting back um, 
changing the environment, the tendency is to wait until they or them fix it. And, and you know, older people, political figures, somebody else. And he would say, son, you could wait forever. Mm. The they is you. You are the they. So it imbues you with a sense of responsibility. So the point is, we're all the they. Some people can improve the world by good parenting. Mm-hmm. Some people can do it by incremental change, by helping one person or doing one thing. And, and some of us want to do it in a, in a bigger fashion. But the point is, we all have that responsibility. This is our generation. This is our time. So you can't just sit there and watch whether it's climate change or, or you know, these racist. Uh, you, you can't just sit there and allow them to destroy democracy or, or uh, whatever it is that's negative um, and, and not act. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. you can't sit around. It's easy to sit around and talk about it, but you got to be active in it or whatever, you know, just like voting. Some people just take that for granted. Like voting is a big thing. And oh, absolutely. So, you know, we always talk about it on our show. Remind everybody in the show, please go vote. You know, yeah. vote for we know what we know what's wrong. We know what's wrong with the country and we know how we can fix it. And voting is a place to start for sure. But um, Tanisha, you had something? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. I was I was going to mention that. He jumped in and got me. So I was right. looking puzzled like we are in sync. Yeah. yeah. So you're not so much like the hands on agent going out. Are you still doing that or are you doing more of your philanthropy writing and things like that? So it's a combination. Um, it's uh, uh, <clears throat> I'm uh, the health and wellness project I'm doing speaks to larger needs of athletes. So. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's enough to just put more dollars in the bank book of athletes if there are ways that we can do a couple things. Number one, games are coming down to the very end. So is there a way in critical circumstances to stimulate productivity and performance in those critical circumstances. So statisticals. So, so what happens is this. What does the athlete do in adversity? Mm-hmm. So the game's coming down in the fourth quarter or the last drive. And what does the athlete do? He's thrown a couple interceptions. The crowd is booing. The game's getting out of hand. What does he do now? Can he compartmentalize, adopt a quiet mind, tune out extraneous things, forget the past, and elevate his level of play? That's what some of these modalities can help do. Hmm. Can we return athletes to service quicker? Because under a cap system, um, uh, the the backup player is significantly worse, uh, uh, a rookie, a aging veteran. Can we do that? Um, can I protect the long-term health of the athletes? These are all issues that I think are important. So I'm looking at the larger global uh, interest. Can I figure out ways for second career 
for athletes. Um, mm-hmm. In other words, um, Deron Cherry, uh, who's with the Kansas City Chiefs, retires. And we're able, because of the networking he did, to set him up as the owner of the Anheuser-Busch distributorship in Kansas City, which is a licensed print money. Then I introduced him to the new owner of the Jaguars, Mm -hmm. um, and he becomes the first minority owner of an actual team. And we replicate that with uh, Warwick Dunn, who owns an actual team. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I mean, our players are qualified to speak for themselves, but we're using that same model on younger players Uh to be the owners, um, to, to, uh, be empowered. So they run the business. So I'll give you an example. Okay. So you have players on the 49ers. And so I say to Steve Young and Brent Jones, can you think of any businesses near Santa Clara? Um, well, high tech um, and uh, venture capital. Mm-hmm. So it's not by chance that Brent Jones networked uh, with those people while he was playing and then put together a $5 billion hedge fund. No. Or that Steve Young was uh, able to be the head of another venture capital fund. So for this generation of athletes, the owners or the broadcast figures or the coaches. So the point is, it's it's taking a look at a larger picture for these athletes and what they can be and what they can do and empowering them in bigger ways. So do I still relate to uh, athletes? Yes. But the point is that in addition to contracts and marketing and the rest of it, can you simulate a grander vision of who they can be and what they can be? Can they be political figures? Can they mm. be owners? Can they be, you know, uh, can they package content um, for uh, motion pictures, television, video games? Can they, um, uh, can they use their brand to, to cut across multiple uh, platforms? If, if you're Troy Aikman, can you use Troy Aikman to create Troy Aikman Auto Mall? Right. Would you rather have a car with his name on the license plate? Right. So we noticed that. I remember that too, Lee, from the course that we took with you um, Absolutely. a couple of years ago, how you just stressed that it was here. Here are the things he can do as an agent, but here's so much more as an agent for afterlife, like you were so concerned and still are obviously with the afterlife after they're done playing or maybe an injury or something, how have you set yourself up for the future? And charitably, um, you have the ability to alter the arc of human history. In other words, and, and do you have a vision of how this world can be, a better place because you focused attention mm-hmm. on something that you have a passion for. Yeah. And, and speaking of that, I often get being that you're 
Pat's agent. I always often get people say, well, what does it take to be an agent? And I said, well, you know, I went to classes. I've been a part of Lee's program <laughs> and everything. <laughs> and uh, we and we felt, you know, he does a good job of explaining what all is entailed into that whole that whole, um, you know, environment. And we felt like our avenues was marketing. And um, but good for those out there <laughs> whose passion is to be a sport sports agent, could you just kind of give them a little bit of what it takes and, and the amount of time that you have to um, invest um, in the fact that you're, in, you're, you're, um, you're expected to, uh, people are handing off their children to you and, and hoping that you're going to guide them the right way. So um, we're doing another agent Academy, November, uh, I think it's 11, 12, 13. It's a great course for anybody listening. It's a great course in Las Vegas. Um, and you can go to um, SteinbergSpeaks.com and think about signing up for it because we teach um, uh, how to recruit, how to negotiate, how to brand and market, how to uh, set up a charitable foundation and uh, the rest of it. Um, there are three basic components to agenting. The first is recruiting because without clients. Um, um, the second is the negotiating either player contracts or endorsement contracts. And the third is client servicing. Um, and um, so the first thing you have to do in team sports is to be certified by the, uh, by the union that represents players. So that would be the National Football League Players Association or the NBA or hockey or uh, baseball. And um, that consists of paying a fee, uh, being, being screened, uh, taking an uh, exam on the collective bargaining agreement that is not easy. Um, and, and so that's a, the first thing. Then um, it's, it's coming up with a plan. Are you going to do this on your own or <laughs> are you going to get hired by someone else who does this? Um, are you going to focus on marketing or are you going to focus on uh, taking a player through a draft? Um, what are you going to do? The economics are very challenging in, in this field. So, for example, if you're taking a player into football um, the, and taking them through the draft, the training that, that a player uses to show off their uh, skill set um, is now the obligation of the agent to pay for. Mm -hmm. And that process can cost it, with a per diem for the player, $30,000, you know, or more depending, and that's the agent's obligation. So you have to think through those economics. The fee cap in uh, representation is 3% of the player's contract in football as the money comes to the player, 4%. In basketball, as the money comes to the player, and 5% in baseball, as the money comes to the player. That's for a contract negotiation, a playing contract. 
in the endorsement area, it can be anywhere from 10 to 25% or potentially more. The theory being that the agent goes out and finds that uh, 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 project where the player is going to have the other thing uh, anyway. So you need to have a business plan, a concept for uh, what your expenses are if you're going to go out on your own. And the key to it is keeping fixed costs down and profitability mm -hmm. uh, high. And you need to think through all those uh, economics. And um, so uh, and in recruiting, you need to have uh, uh, a presentation booklet that shows and describes who you are, what your services are. Um, if you're taking someone through the draft, the entire plan for how you're going to help get them drafted high, negotiate a contract, uh, uh, put together an endorsement package, um, uh, help with uh, uh, branding and marketing. Yeah. You're going to have to show your skill set with creating a brand for them, um, how you're going to help them on social media. The um, currency currently in uh, marketing is uh, your brand on social media. Yeah. How many followers, followers. do you yeah. have on uh, mm -hmm. TikTok and Instagram and uh, Facebook? Facebook and uh, Twitter, all of that. Twitter. And and what is your brand and what is your logo? Um, and then you have this whole new area. The revolution occurred in uh, July 1st, 2021, and it was in Iowa. Yeah. Yep. So college and high school athletics changed forever. Because as opposed to the concept of amateurism, um, the anybody at any age who's an athlete can now brand themselves and use a marketing agent. So over here is Hope Hospital, and uh, there are probably agents uh, in the maternity wards looking for help. <laughs> And, uh, they can brand it. But it's a whole new world because here's the point. Yep. If, I know it. I know it. If the marketing agent is the same person who later is going to represent the player for the professional contract, then if the marketing agent signs the player who I used to talk to as a junior in college, mm -hmm. signs him in high school and does a good job, then you would never be able to talk to them. So there's no limit. So you have to master that whole uh, uh, approach. And uh, so that's just a little bit about um, breaking in into the field. The rewards of it are that athletes can be, it's a teaching coaching function. Um, helping someone mature as a human being that can be very rewarding and athletes for all the troubles and problems and everything <laughs> can be very expressive mm -hmm. and athlete will tell you 
they love you. An athlete will tell you can be very expressive. So forget the whole macho thing because, right. or, and you have female athletes, but that can be very rewarding. And our society is celebrity driven now. Yes. And athletes are celebrities. If you take a sport like football, it is not only the most popular sport in this country, 71 of the top 100 television shows were NFL football. Mm. That means that for the very first time, a sport is the most popular form of televised entertainment in this country. And so you have the most dominant cultural force in the country. Um, so that means that someone like Patrick Mahomes has a level of power if he chooses to use it that exceeds movie stars and mm. figures and all the rest of it. And that means as an agent, um, you've got tremendous potential and power, you know, for good or evil or the evil, rest, right. more right. than just the ability to earn money. Right, right. Wow, that is, I mean, you've shared a lot. I, I was going back to just wondering what we did a show a few months ago on NIL and how that changed mm -hmm. the landscape and challenging. And are these schools now, I mean, it's like you have that, you also have the open transfer portals. You get so much. It's like, is it killing the parity with the, with the the playing? Are they going to go to these schools because they know I get money now? I get money in college, you know. And I get it. You're using their brand and their image, their likeness, and all that other stuff to to get people in these stands. But I don't know. I'm still I'm still out on that one. <laughs> well, think about the fact that you have alumni collectors mm -hmm. at schools across the country and these alums own businesses yep and they have banded together you know at sc in alabama and a number of schools and they own businesses so they can funnel money mm -hmm. through their businesses through nils and in the recruiting process they can put together a $2 million endorsement package to offer to a recruit that's choosing between schools. Yeah, absolutely. It's above the table now. That's how I look at it. <laughs> and so one of the things to think about is one potential positive effect is could this keep a college athlete in school longer. Hmm. That is a problem. I, I never looked at it from that perspective, right? To say there, because I'm going to make that money, I'll get my degree and I'll still have that professional, even if I don't. But instead of taking that leap, they may say, let me play an extra year. Especially for to get paid in an extra year. That's a good, that's a good point, Lee. Didn't think about it like that. It's, it's a great point for the middle of the line athlete that would normally try to take a chance, even though everybody's telling them you need to be in school one more year. 
but they want to get that money because maybe they have some sort of um, financial responsibility uh, for, for family members, you know, even themselves, whatever. Um, I can definitely see them if they're at a UT, a, a big school, you know, Alabama, somewhere where they're, you know, getting getting some additional um, funds, staying there, you know, riding it out to the end, getting the extra time that they need to develop properly and then moving on. That Absolutely. is actually an amazing point, Lee, that, I, that we sit here and we debated about that because I was a big proponent of, I love the fact that NIL, NIL deals were in effect because I felt like all of these colleges, all these universities, um, everybody was making money off of these children but themselves. And I love the fact that they could go out here and, 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 and make money because they may get injured. Their career may end early, but they've had an opportunity now to maybe make some money off of when they were able to play at a different level. And uh, the Linda's whole thing was, what about the guy that's, you know, lower at, at, at the end of the bench? And I said, well, that to me gives him an incentive to get up there and, and, and perform even, even harder and, 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 and to uh, make himself um, even more um, uh, marketable. Um, well, you know. here's the thing. If you're in uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the love affair that people have with Alabama football is such that any player associated with the program um, has some value. They may not get $2 million, but they may get $5,000. Right. And, uh, and the truth is, had the NCAA allowed this more quickly, um, these athletes didn't need $2 million uh, to be happy. No. Uh -uh. If they had enough money to have a car and enough yep. money to, to eat better meals and enough money to fly home for Thanksgiving and right. enough money to have a reasonable apartment. I mean, if they had yep. $1,000 more, they mm -hmm. would have thought they were in high heaven. Right. And, they would have. And the NCAA didn't work. Incidentally, I think one other thing to keep your eye on is um, I think these Power Five conferences will ultimately withdraw from the NCAA. And, mm. and I think they'll do their own TV contracts. Yep. They don't need a middleman. And um, that whatever share the NCAA takes, they can do their own rules and their own administration and they don't need that cut coming off of that uh contract nope. and they'll uh they'll do better um in other words the they don't get rid of the middleman you're right you're absolutely exactly. right you're just feeding somebody else's pockets and what is it benefiting you because you're the one making the money you're right. the product the NCAA is just the name behind it you're the product I cannot remember um, what program I saw, but there was a program that I saw that had that explained the whole inception of the NCAA and how it all came about and how people just started to fall in line because they kept on, you know, uh, making fuss about this and that and, and dropping down all these rules. And then it just seemed like everybody just started to believe in believe in the NCAA in the same way that they did that. I'm with you, Lee. They could absolutely turn around and say, you know what? We don't need this. Guys. We don't need you. <laughs> We don't need these people. Yep. So, so look at the Big Ten now. They have Los Angeles 
first they have New York with Rutgers, number one TV market. They have Chicago with Northwestern, number two, uh, three. And they have LA with SC and UCLA, number mm-hmm. two. Uh, uh, they've got the three top TV markets. And yeah. um, um, they're in perfect position. Right. To- they don't need They don't need this. And the NCAA, right, they're negotiating. They don't need, I mean, really, you don't need, I mean, the NCAA was like the regulatory, but so many things have changed. They can regulate themselves. They can regulate themselves. People are jumping from this conference to that conference. It's like the NCAA doesn't even have a say. They're just there. It's like figure. Kevin Warren is uh, commissioner of the Big Ten. He's perfectly capable of uh, coming up with the university presidents with a set of rules about recruiting and mm-hmm. regulations right. and, and yeah. whatever they need. And, um, you know, they, they, and the colleges can, can run a tournament, uh, for basketball between themselves. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Know, they can hire, a administrator to run the thing yeah absolutely those days yep it's new new days coming i know lee uh we've been on for a while we appreciate your time i know you're a very busy man um is there anything that you want to close out with anything you want to share you want to i know it's wednesday and i know you're going to do something else but you got some words of wisdom you want to share with us (laughs) absolutely well today's wednesday wisdom was just about the need to continually learn and to um and i talked about i have a book club on facebook um which everybody's welcome to join and today's is just uh and you just go to lee steinberg book club on facebook but it's just about the need that life is about learning and it's just about the fact that i'm not boasting about this, but I read six newspapers a day and I read um, a series of magazines and I read multiple books because I want to know what's going on in science and uh, technology and entertainment and health and wellness and space. And and the rate of change is uh, not linear anymore. It's exponential. Mm-hmm. And move so rapidly that the ability to adjust to um, where we are as a culture and a society and where we are, you you have to keep uh, 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 informed or it just goes by. Yep. You know, and, and, fast. Yeah. and when I grew up in a, in a world with rotary uh, telephones <laughs> and uh, uh, you would someone called you and you were on the phone it rang busy and uh, right. <laughs> there, were, there were typewriters and there were no computers and uh there were no cell phones and uh, tv was black and white yeah channels and uh i mean you just have to uh you know stay uh abreast of everything because uh the whole way in which we process information has changed. Yes. You know, I'm on the plane the other day and this really, really young kid is on an iPad 
and doing all these complex maneuvers. And I asked his mom how old he was, and she said three. And um, yeah, he, this kid can outprocess me. And uh, you know, we just yeah, we have to stay current. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. I've had my grandson show me. I get the iPad. I'm like, can you show me something? They know all. That's it. Because that's where they're starting. So it was the same thing with our parents when we were showing them stuff. But the technology right now, and we both work in the IT field, is just oh, yeah, it's my, out there. As much my, as we know, there's way more that we don't know. So, absolutely. My kid thinks I'm a dinosaur now. And I work in IT. Yeah. I'm on a different <laughs> I'm on top, I'm on yeah. top levels in IT. And my kid looks at me, she's like, Mom, just give it to me real quick. Just give it to me. Yeah. She just can't take it. So yeah. But, These kids I, are amazing. I, I think I'm one uh era later. I'm Saber Troop Tigers and Woolly Mammoths. Exactly. But Lee, before you leave, I wanted to say this to you. Um, I am so grateful that you are um, my um, nephew's agent because I've seen how you guys have kind of walked him through and um, helped him and made sure he stayed on the path, which I know it couldn't be easy with how quickly he found success. Um, and I just wanted to thank you for that because, um, you know, I, I, like I said, you, you're, you're like family to me. I mean, I, I think I met you the first time at that Oklahoma game, uh, or Chris at the Oklahoma game, your, your group at the Oklahoma game. And, um, and, and, and it's just been really good. I mean, we've, we've, we've been well, to your seminars, we've done a lot of things and I, I just think I, you guys are amazing people. I, I will tell you, um, he, he's one of the most extraordinarily bright grounded um, uh, young men I've ever met. And um, it's, uh, I've had the good fortune of um, working with people like Patrick who, had they never met me, were going to be extraordinarily successful in their lives. Mm -hmm. yeah. We're just because, I mean, he's so uniquely bright and so caring about other people um, that, and so grounded that, uh, and so much vision. I, I could have seen him, you know, be a lawyer, a businessman, a political figure. I mean, he could do it all. And it's, it's really been a, my privilege to be associated with him. And I echo what Tanisha says. I mean, you've been gracious with your time in the past and now. And um, our our plan is to see you in Arizona at your party in February. Oh, yeah. Come on. We, we, <laughs> you told us we had a lifetime invitation. We're going to take it up. <laughs> we'll take you up well, on it. Uh, our charity is, uh, we're going to do the whole thing. We got, we'll do the philanthropic awards. We're doing the brain lounge, brain body lounge. We're doing another uh uh, uh, a concussion seminar and our uh, charities, the homeless. Okay. Okay. Sounds great. So that we will see you there, but I'm sure we will talk to you before then. Okay. Absolutely. All right, Lee, we thank you again for your time. Um, enjoy that view and that water out there. And until next time, as we always say, please be kind and be blessed. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Two Gems and a Mic. Be sure to subscribe and follow. Until next time, remember, be kind, be blessed. Peace.